Welcome to Patients at Risk, a discussion of the dangers that patients face when physicians are replaced with non-physician practitioners. I'm your host and the co-author of the book, Patients at Risk, The Rise of the Nurse Practitioner and Physician Assistant in Healthcare, Dr. Rebecca Bernard. In the past, physicians have worked for ourselves, either owning our own outpatient practice or billing for our services provided at a hospital facility. But increasingly, physicians are choosing to enter into employed practice, and today, more doctors work for companies than own themselves. While there are some benefits to being employed, many physicians are finding that being employed has a significant impact on their autonomy and can even lead to burnout, especially when they're being forced to supervise a number of non-physician practitioners. In many cases, doctors are starting to look for a way to return to self-ownership, but they may not have the knowledge or the tools to take that step. So today, we're going to change that. I am joined by an extraordinary entrepreneur, Dr. Stephanie Freeman. She's a board-certified critical care physician, and she's teaching doctors how to get back to practicing medicine on your own terms. Dr. Freeman, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dr. Bernard. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for really being a patient advocate. I think you are one of the leaders in medicine and what you are doing is actually going to revolutionize the way medicine is practiced and the way that physicians view themselves. So I would just like to thank you for the work that you've done. I know you've taken a couple of maybe some personal and professional hits out here in these social media streets, but I really appreciate the fact that you have been a tireless proponent of physician autonomy, which leads to better health care for patients. So I actually applaud you and I thank you so much for really thinking of me and reaching out to me to uh, be a guest on your podcast. Well, thank you for that. And the reason that I'm able to speak out and advocate for this is really one main reason. It's because I'm self-employed. I cannot get fired from my job because I own myself. And that is a problem a lot of doctors have. They want to speak out, but they are very afraid because they could get fired and they do get fired. So that's one of the main reasons that I'm so excited to have you here, because this is going to allow physicians an opportunity to take back control and to really be free to stand up for their beliefs. So why don't you start us out by just telling us a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are today? Well, like like you said, I am Dr. Stephanie Freeman. I am a board-certified critical care physician, also boarded in internal medicine, born and raised in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. So I am a true Southerner. I live in Houston. I'm from Alabama. So I have this accent is real. It is a real bona fide Southern accent. So yeah, I tell everybody I'm an Alabama girl through and through and through living in a Texas world. But I got started with locums. Honestly speaking, Dr. Bernard, because I can't keep a job. I cannot keep a job. I am unemployable and I own that. I actually lost my first job out of um, fellowship, got fired, contract not renewed. And I think that's one of the things that physicians don't talk a lot about because we aren't trained and we aren't exposed in training to the volatility of the medical marketplace. It is brutal out here. It is brutal. And we we aren't taught about private practice. We aren't taught about private practice politics. We aren't taught about the players, the people behind the scene who are making rules and deals and 
partnerships behind our back. We just think that patient care and advocating for your patient is good enough and it's not. And I found out the hard way when I had my first job and I lost that nine months later. But the thing that kept me going is because I've always been that doctor who doing residency and fellowship, I always moonlit. I always had the side hustle going on. I was that one person that took step three as early as I could, got my unrestricted license, got permission from my fellowship, my program director to moonlight. And I always moonlit. And I always knew as a result of that, that there was always extra work for physicians outside the traditional employment model. And so when I lost my job the first time, I was like, well, you know, I'll just go moonlight. And so I was picking up shifts here and there. And I stumbled across this whole industry called locums when I was at a at a medical conference. And the lady was like, well, you know, we will pay for hotel and travel. We'll fly you to and from. You can kind of make your own schedule. And so I started talking to them. And they told me how much the pay was. And I did the math. And I'm like, sign me up. So I took my first locums assignment in 2008 in Pikeville, Kentucky. And I worked half as much and I made more money. And so I used this as an opportunity to go back to get my MBA. And while I was working on my MBA, I was working 10 days a month, 10 days a month, paying my bills, still going on vacation. And so that's how I fell into it. So I like to tell everybody I didn't choose locums, locums chose me. So that's kind of how I got started in it. I love that story. And I have a similar story in how I opened my DPC practice, which was I got fired from my job. I had never been fired. I never expected to be fired. Uh, I went in to complain about some things that were not being done properly that were really not uh, not right. And I expected them to say, oh, well, we'll fix those things. And instead they said, well, you can just leave. And I suddenly found myself without a job. And it was actually the same with you. The best thing that ever happened to me, because I said, well, this is a great opportunity for me to try to open my own practice and I'll give it a year. And if it doesn't work out, I can always get a job somewhere else. So, and of course, now that I own myself, I could never imagine turning back to being employed. I agree with you so truly about that. So tried. I tried Dr. Bernard because I haven't always embraced this locum's life. I used to be ashamed of it. I used to be ashamed of the fact that I got fired. I used to be ashamed of the fact that I did locum. So I always came up with excuses as to why I was doing locums. And so I, I tried to go back and, and, and work a real job. And I've only, I only lasted on each of those jobs for nine months because I even felt that the way they treated their physicians was abominable. I felt that they expected us to toe the corporate line, um, to just advocate and, and, and drink the Kool-Aid for lack of a better term, when there was really no reason for me to advance your corporate agenda when you had no real interest in me as a person about what I wanted to do, what other aspects of myself I wanted to develop. As long as I was a warm body to fill the shift and as long as my presence didn't cause any problems, you were okay. But then I was expected 
to fall in line with whatever your agenda was. Yeah. And that didn't work for me. So I, I lasted on each of my permanent jobs all of la- all of nine months. I mean, you, your point is so well taken. And then further, when you're a physician, and especially when you first come out, you're trained to like problem solve. And you see, you go into a job and you say, oh, I see something that could be done better that would help patients. And why don't we try this? And you're told, no, that's not how we do things. That's not our, our way. And basically, you're shot down over and over again. And one, either one of two things happens. You keep pushing and you get yourself fired, or you give in and you stop trying and you develop you know, like this learned helplessness, which many times leads to burnout. So um, I think that we should talk about this more. I know what you mean about being ashamed because, you know, I don't, I never thought I would get, you know, we're, we're perfectionists, like getting fired. You know, I don't know about you, but I've always been kind of a goody two shoes. And so the idea of like saying, oh my God, I got fired. Like that's just kind of seems scandalous, but I think it should be a badge of honor for us to say, you know what? No, we're not going to, we're not going to put up with something that's not right. And we're trying to do what's best for our patients and for ourselves. Yes. 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 I remember when I first got that call about, you know, oh, we're not going to renew your contract. Just stay at home. I I, like, I remember just falling down in my living room and I was just crying because I didn't know how I was going to pay for this house that I just bought. Now when my contract's getting not renewed or, or I'm like, whatever. Doesn't that feel so empowering and so good? It's, and you know what? I love this also because doctors, you know, when I think about doctor, physician depression and physician suicide and this sense, like this crying, this despair, because you've gotten, you've lost a job or you don't know what you're going to do. This is the message out there to every physician that's listening, that you always have an option just because this particular job isn't working out. Don't despair. Don't give up. There's something else. And and I love what you said about the moonlighting. And I'm like you too. I've always liked to have like a plan B, plan C, plan D, you know, backup in my, and, you know, just in case I like to have a little moonlighting gig here and there. And I strongly suggest, I know it's getting harder for residents to do that. uh, But if you're a resident or a new doctor, I think it's a great idea. Right. And the other thing that I want to mention that happens to physicians that not enough people talk about is sham peer review. I was a victim of sham peer review at a, at a facility. So they filed a false report. So I had to get an attorney, cost me $16,000 to get the facility to retract the report. And my attorney was like, Dr. Freeman, this is so common. He's like, this happens to physicians all the time. And my phys- my attorney told me, he says, you know what, Phys- these places love to litigate against physicians. Many of them have chips on their shoulders. Many of these places are run by people who have interesting personalities and they really do have a thing against physicians. And I'm sitting there like, oh, my gosh, that was an expensive lesson. He was like, no, it wasn't. He said, because you got off cheap because I thought we we're going to have to sue them. So my point is this. So many physicians are the victims of these sham peer reviews, these sham reports. And what these places really do, they try to silence people who bring up issues about quality. They try to ruin your career by either trying to falsely report you to the National Practitioner Data Bank or to the state medical board as being a disruptive physician. What I've learned in all of this, every physician needs to fight back and protect their rights. And the way you fight back and protect your rights is number one, recognize when this is happening to you. If you feel in whatever situation you're in that you are being targeted, you're being targeted. If you feel that there's an X on your back, 
that feeling is valid because these things do happen. Number two, get an attorney, get legal counsel early in the game. Get an attorney who is a healthcare law attorney. So, so many physicians are like, well, I can't afford it. Or they think that, you know, they, cause we're, we're, we've been gaslit so much as a profession that a lot of physicians really second guess themselves and second guess what they're feeling and second guess what they're experiencing, but don't second guess it. Yes, you're being abused. I, I, I wrote a nice little blog series about the emotional abuse of physicians. Yes, you're being abused. Yes, they're targeting you. Yes, they're treating you unfairly and recognize what's going on and get help because this thing is happening in order to silence physicians and to quote unquote, keep us in our place because it's happened to me. That is so scary. I definitely want to do a future podcast and maybe we can find an attorney specializing in this to come on to, to give more detailed advice because I think this is a critical topic. You're a critical care physician. And so we know that that there's a place for locums work there. What other types of physician specialists can consider locums work? Every single type, every type, every type. I um, read an article recently that stated about 90% of healthcare organizations use locums and intend to use locums. And one of the fallacies and one of the things that um, a lot of locums companies put out there, they try to control the marketplace is they they say, well, you know, you're so expensive and the client is paying so much money to have you there. And we are expensive, you know, and the reason why locums doctors are expensive is because the locums companies take a huge cut of what the facilities are paying for our services. But study after study after study after study has shown that the presence of locums physicians really is still financially beneficial to the organization because it allows the continuation of medical services. So every physician specialty, there is a place for locums for you everything. So later on, I'm going to give your information because I know that you provide, you have uh, information on your website and you also do individual counseling and career support. So I I definitely want to give that out, but where should a physician start to investigate if they, if they are thinking about doing contract work or locums, where do they get started? Right. So I do offer some free online training called Getting Started with Locums in Five Easy Steps, freelocumstraining.com. But one of the things I want to everybody to realize is when I say locums, I don't necessarily just mean doing hopping on a plane and going somewhere for an extended period of time to do contract work. I mean anything that is not work in terms of, of a traditional W-2 physician employment, whether or not it's locums or per diem or moonlighting or contract, anything that's kind of uh, outside of the realm of traditional employment when you were doing 1099 independent contract work. And I do want to let everybody know that you don't have to travel for locums. You can do locums locally. You just have to be a little creative about where you find those opportunities. I think one of the most interesting things about being a contract employee, and I don't know if you agree with this, but having done that and done W-2, don't you feel like employers treat you better 
I don't know why it seems like when once you sign as an employee, it feels like they've kind of got you. And like when I do done contract work for hospice, for example, I never had to attend any meetings. I didn't have to, you know, there was it was almost like they needed me more than I needed them. Do, Do you think I'm off base with that? You are totally on base because I've made the mistake of signing on permanently um, with the place after I've done locums there. And it's totally different. Oh, it's totally different. It is. It's like the honeymoon is for real over. It's like the difference between dating and getting married. I'm sorry to say that I've never been married, but it's like when you're kind of, you know, independent contractor, they know you can walk out out at any time. They know that you can go someplace else anytime. And as long as they need you a little more than you need them, the balance of power is kind of in your favor. And this goes with places that for which you've been doing long term locums with this too, because when they don't need you anymore, they, they treat you different. It's but so then it's weird like, though, because like you would think that, you know, they spend all this money to hire an employee and usually they, you know, I talked to Doug Farrego about this, how, you know, they wine you and dine you. And, and then as soon as you sign, all of a sudden, all that goes out the window and they start disrespecting you. And it's so strange. I just don't understand that mentality. You know what? Honestly, Dr. Bernard, it's in, I did some research about this because I'm like, I know this is not, the, I'm not the only one that's experienced that. And I've actually experienced that with some locums assignments as well, too. When it is time, when they're getting ready to, you know, term the contract and say, hey, we don't need you anymore. It's like this cycle of abuse. You're in an abusive relationship. It's like they idealize you, they wine and dine you, then um, the honeymoon's over, and then they start devaluing you. and like, you know, start treating you poorly. And then it's like they try to replace you. And then it happens over and over and over again. And like the techniques that they use while you're in this whole cycle, it's like abuse. It is so weird. I know. I, I Yes. And that's why I think physicians have got to take control. And that way, if you're doing contract work, you can do it until it's not good anymore or until it's not, you're just not getting that good feeling. And then you can walk away and you can go somewhere else. So what are some of the barriers and reasons that doctors are maybe afraid to consider looking into contract work? Number one reason doctors are afraid to transition into contract work, health insurance. That's the number one reason. Do you have a a recommendation for how they can overcome that? Yes, actually, I just started a nonprofit trade organization for locums and independent physicians. It is called the National Association of Locums and Independent Physicians. And the reason I started that is because I believe in strength and numbers, because there's a lot of us out here. And I think it's inherently unfair that physicians who do independent work Many of us answered the call during COVID. Many of us got on planes, left our families behind and said, hey, I'm going where the need is because I want to help because intrinsically physicians are altruistic people. And so I don't think it's fair that just because we don't work for an employer per se, that we don't have access to benefits that are competitive to what our colleagues can get who are working with employers. So what I did was I formed an organization 
What that means is any any physician who does not have employer-sponsored benefits, their spouse and their kids are eligible to participate in this insurance program. The physician does have to join my organization. It's a nominal fee of $20 per month. And then that will give you access to the insurance company's platform for which you can choose your insurance package at a price that is competitive to the products on the ACA marketplace. It's not cheap. It's not cheap. It's not cheaper, but it's more competitive and it's good in 47 states. Well, that is an excellent thing to hear about. I mean, I know right now a lot of us are doing things like health sharing, which is okay, but not perfect. Right now, I just bought a 12-month short-term plan because it was a lot less expensive. Again, not perfect. And then when the 12 months runs out, I've got to see what my next option is. So you're right. This is a, a legitimate concern. So I'm excited that you're working on it. And I think to your point, there's also there are ways to work around it. And like you said, it's not cheap, but you also could deduct that, right? As a business expense since you're self-employed. Absolutely. Absolutely. So number one, the number one reason that people don't like are scared to make the transition is the whole issue of health insurance. The second reason that a lot of people are afraid to make the transition is because they think they have to travel. And that seems to be a, a sticking point for a lot of women. And so I talk to women about how you can how you can work around that. And one of my main premises is that you can do locums locally. You just have to learn where to look for those opportunities. The third thing that hinders a lot of people from making the transition is a lot of people are wary about working with locums companies because they've heard maybe some not great things about some locums companies or they haven't had great conversations with some of the locums recruiters that they've spoken to. But I also help people uh, learn how to do it circumventing locums companies. So there's all sorts of things out there. And the fourth reason that people are hesitant to do contract work is because they really feel that maybe their income may not be as steady. And once again, I, 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 I'll I tell people how you have to look for jobs, how you have to plan your schedule. Because my favorite saying is like your second job as a locum's doctor is to find your next job as a locum's doctor. You're constantly going to be in the job market, but once you develop a system, it gets easy and then you you'll always have work. Yeah. And I saw a study recently that looked at salaries. And actually, they found that self-employed physicians are earning more than employed physicians. So it's more about that concern, I think, about having the guaranteed income. But the reality is that once you take that plunge, you actually may end up earning more. And of course, you have a lot more autonomy. Since our podcast is, you know, focuses also on non-physician practitioners, and that is one of the reasons that doctors are sometimes feeling trapped in their job because they may not have any input into the hiring and training, but they're being held responsible to supervise. What has been your experience with supervising in contract work? It's not been great. (laughs) But I will tell you this, I try to avoid assignments in which I do have to work with mid-levels. I try to. It doesn't happen all the time. But I I really 
try to make sure that when I I just had a conversation with a recruiter um, the other day in which they said that there's going to be APP support. And I was like, I really don't like working with mid-levels. I said, but I will consider this as long as it is clear that I do not want to work with any met levels that do not recognize the fact that I'm the doctor. I'm not working with these people who are cowboys. And I have been on locums assignments in which the APPs have been atrocious. And I have complained and I have written them up because I have to protect myself from a medical legal standpoint. And I document, I write things up, I escalate up the chain of command. But then I'm like, I got to get out of here because I'm not fighting those battles. Has that been a professional uh, challenge or that limited you, you know, kind of taking that stand? Well, it's not been a problem because a lot of places really don't have the money to have both an intensivist and an APP on site. And what I am seeing and I am really encouraged about is a lot of our surgery colleagues are demanding that there be a full time in-house critical care physician because our surgery colleagues are saying and seeing that they just don't feel comfortable with their sick patients being in the intensive care unit, not being cared by an intensivist. And so that to me goes along the point how we physicians across specialties need to stand up for other physicians in the guise of what's best for the patient. 100%. And, you know, sometimes I'll hear from specialists or primary care doctors, you know, well, my NP and my PA, you know, that sort of thing. And, you know, yes, that one individual person might be particularly good because you trained them, but we know that there's just not that same standardization. So I think you're so right. And I, I do feel like the message is getting out there. And I think that more physicians are starting to realize it. And I agree with you. I just would love to see all of us support each other, support mm-hmm. physicians, and really just to make sure that our patients get the right care. Yeah, it's all about patient safety. It is, it's, it's all about patient safety. And like you said, there's just too much variability in the training and in the work ethic of some of these people. And I was like, mm, yeah, no. it's yeah. different. I mean, I think it just comes from where we start and the, uh, the expectation that we put on ourselves and that, you know, that our seniors put upon us. And we, we understand that what we do impacts whether potentially whether someone could live or die. And that's a really heavy responsibility to bear. I mean, if you take that seriously, which we should, of course. Yes, absolutely. I just wanted to say a few more things about things that I really like about you that I want you to share with our audience, which is that I really like how you prioritize self-care. And I see you posting a lot of times on your Peloton. So what advice do you give physicians listening out there about making sure that they're taking care of themselves? You come first, period, period. You come first because nobody cares about you. These people don't care about you. I have seen time and time again how these places need you until they don't and how they cast physicians aside is heartbreaking and how these places will not only cast you aside, but they will try to destroy your career in the process. I've seen I've been that physician who was called into work to take the place of a physician who died suddenly because I'm locums and I'll get the phone call. Hey, Dr. So-and-so just died and we need somebody to cover his shifts. And so I'm sitting there in shock and I'm like, okay, yeah, 
And then you you go and you work, you go into the intensive care unit after this physician who's worked there for 20 years has died and things are still going on. Life didn't stop. There may be a picture and there may be some flowers commemorating that physician, but the place where these physicians have spent so much of their lives and dedicated so much of their time, when they're not there, those places continue to go on. And their memory is just that, a memory. And it's only a memory to the people that worked with them. I've seen that more times than I would like to remember. And it's always, it's always bothered me. It's always bothered me. And so when physicians are just feeling at the end of their rope because of a job, because of people who don't share your same priorities, my first advice is to quit. I'm to the point now, Dr. Bernard, my motto is quit early, quit often. <laughs> Love it. And I say this to my attending physicians. I have to, you know, make a caveat because I know a lot of physicians in training follow me. I'm like, this is not for my baby physicians. This is not for residents. This is not for fellows. You're going to complete your program. If you have problems, reach out to one of us, but everybody else quit early, quit often. And the reason I say this is because things don't get better on your job. If they're treating you bad now, they're going to continue to treat you poorly. If you're stressed out now, you're going to continue to be stressed out. If you're burnt out now, you're going to continue quit. I cannot tell you how much I love this advice. Like I'm, I'm feeling really inspired and I wish that I'd had this pep talk when I was, you know, 20 years ago when I was starting out and feeling like the world would end if I didn't show up to work. And as you pointed out, uh, when you're not there anymore, people just forget. And so you have to take care of yourself. And I also just want to say to you, I really want to recognize and appreciate the work that you've done during COVID-19 because you were on the front line. I see you flying on planes, still wearing your N95 mask, trying to protect yourself and other people. And um, thank you for that. Well, you know, thank you for saying that. But this this is for all of us. And the thing that hurt my soul the most was for one of the place that I'm having the problems with that filed the false NPD report. That was a place that I still got on a plane to fly to in Indiana, you know, during COVID when nobody was flying and I was the only one in the plane. That was a place when their pulmonologist died suddenly and they needed extra care. They were begging me to come. So I stepped up and you know, worked extra for them to the point where I would get off a plane after they begged me to work an open weekend. I got off the plane and would go work my other job because I was trying to help them out. And then when they were done with me. So when I tell you, I know how bad these facilities can treat physicians. I experienced that. First of all, I think all of the physicians, because all of the medical community stepped up. We took an emotional hit. We risked our lives physically. Many people, you know, would have to leave their families to come work or felt the uncertainty of, you know, I'm doing clinical work and I'm bringing this home to my, am I exposing my, my spouses to this? The entire medical community has really been under a lot of pressure these last two and a half years. And then for the lack of respect that we get online and in social media, and then for some of our employers to turn around and to do us the way they've done. So I extend, number one, my thanks to my physician communities. I extend a heartfelt hug because I feel the pain 
that everybody has gone through, especially my, my physicians that have families. And that is why I say, number one, above all else, put yourself first. You come first. You are not stuck. Develop a plan, lawyer up, quit early and quit often because above all else, protect yourself and protect your ability to practice medicine on your own terms. I think this is tremendous advice and I look forward to posting your information so that physicians can reach out to you to learn more and to get empowered. So thank you so much, Dr. Stephanie Freeman for joining me. If you'd like to learn more, we encourage you to join our group physicians for patient protection, our website, physiciansforpatientprotection.org. Thanks so much. We'll see you on the next podcast. Mm -hmm.